Welcome to the Realmcast. I am your host, the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim. And with me, as always, is our lower master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, fan, Tim. Today, we're welcoming back Mr. Midnight Owl, our original script insider. Welcome, Bran. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hey, it's good to have you back. Yeah. Jinx. So, <laughs> Mr. Midnight Owl, you are, are kind of infamous now with our show as having brought us the original scripts. Do you want to give us a little background on how that happened and how we got you on the show? Yeah. Um, actually, the few years back, I uh, got access to the 2016 script and then a year later got access to the 2018 script. So I was kind of hinting out like little bits and pieces without giving out the actual movie, mostly just kind of giving my own insight and how I felt about it, which by the 2018 draft, I was really positive over. I thought they had come a long way. Greg Russo had come a long way with making the plot work. By then, a lot of my videos and posts and stuff had kind of been uh, deleted as I sort of got out of being a YouTuber and kind of moving more into film production that, um, you know, you just wanted me to go on record and kind of tell everyone during that like dead space when there was no marketing. So I felt like I did a good job of giving out little pieces without actually spoiling the movie. And hopefully it hyped everyone up to really enjoy the film itself when it released last month. Yeah, that interview actually hyped me up for the movie itself. I was pretty excited to see what we were going to get out of it just from our discussion because, you know, there were so many rumors floating around and nobody knew exactly what was happening with the movie. So that interview just gave me a chance to kind of say, okay, this could actually work and this could actually turn into a good movie. And now we have the movie out and it, I mean, it's done pretty well from what we've seen so far. Yeah, I would, I would agree the, uh, I was really surprised even during the pandemic, just um, how many people really went out there to see the movie. So there's definitely a fan base that was uh, craving this kind of film. Yeah. And it ended up becoming the number one streamed new release on HBO Max, which is amazing considering that this is kind of an experiment for AT&T, this whole HBO Max and doing the simultaneous releases. So for Mortal Kombat to beat out Godzilla, Wonder Woman 84, and everything else that's come out so far, I mean, looks like Mortal Kombat's on top again. <laughs> See, I'd, I'm not actually surprised by that. I, I was always confused as a, the lack of faith put into the Mortal Kombat series, at least in a, as a film franchise. And now we're seeing actual evidence that, hey, it does work. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the reason for that was just because martial arts movies haven't been in high demand for a while. So there is that aspect of it. Unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, uh, Hollywood had cold feet about the idea of having essentially almost an all Asian cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can't you can't talk about Mortal Kombat without also talking about the fact that you're essentially looking at an all Asian cast. And unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. I mean, I wish it wasn't like that because I want to see more films like this where. It doesn't always have to be a white male lead. So That's, it's interesting, too. I mean, compared to what we're going to be discussing today, the original scripts had Cole Young being Cole Turner, which yeah. is very much a Western name. So, yeah, I was fully expecting uh, when I first read the, uh, the 2016 draft that they were going with that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this is not going to end up well. Yeah. I mean, you've even you've even got uh, Lewis Tan, actually, who played Cole in the end, speaking out about uh, 
how you want to see more diversity in these movies and fully Asian cast, et cetera, et cetera. And he speaks out about the troubles of being an Asian actor in this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was really happy to see Louis Tan get cast for that part. Uh, I became very much a fan of his after watching him in Wu Assassin. So, and that was also an all Asian cast. And Every actor on there did amazing. So just to see him get cast in this film, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be really cool. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do with any potential sequels with to both Mortal Kombat and Wu Assassins. Yeah, I think this is definitely opening up the doors for a lot of these actors because, you know, a lot of them have come from being, you know, slightly known martial artists and stuff. And now people are talking about them like their names are getting out there. Like go up to anybody who's seen Mortal Kombat, mention Ludi Lin, and they're probably like, "Oh yeah, Liu Kang." Like they've kind of represented these characters now on the big screen. So I think there's a, a promising future for everybody that was involved with this movie. I agree and with that. I really it's, it's agree with that. See. As as Brandon mentioned, you have Louis Tan in uh, Wu Assassins. You had him in Into the Badlands as well. Mm-hmm. You have Joe Taslim in Warrior, for example, as well as all the other crazy action movies has been in. So it's it's good to see them. Which, by the way, uh, just two things on that. I just started watching Warrior, and I have to say he is fucking amazing in that. Yes. <laughs> and I'm also really happy that, um, like, I got into it, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Are there are more seasons. And then I looked up and found out it was canceled after season two, so I was really disappointed. And then here... Uh, Warner Brothers bought it up and they're going to put it on uh, HBO Max, I believe. So yeah, season- it's on HBO Max. I just heard that there was it was greenlit for another se- season. Maybe I misheard. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really happy with that. So that, that just shows uh, a good working relationship between Joe Taslim and Warner Brothers. So hopefully uh, he'll get some more seasons out of that. And I think um, in a way that kind of gives... Warner Brothers, a pool of potential new actors that they could even bring into Mortal Kombat. There's there's been talks about some of the other actors on there and how good their performances are, both acting and martial arts, and how they could easily be brought in uh, to Mortal Kombat just because you'd have that good working relationship where everyone knows each other. So since we're talking Mortal Kombat, let's kind of discuss the the movie. I mean, Bram, we brought you on today because you've read through 2016 2018 scripts i mean as we've discussed before but now that the actual movie has released we can go into detail and kind of compare what we saw in the theaters to what was there in the early drafts i am very excited for this i I was really excited to actually just get a chance to go through them after that first episode we did with you because you held back so well (laughs) (laughs) and you really got us excited obviously there was a lot of criticism from us too but I, I felt that the way you presented it all to us definitely got us hyped for the movie. And now that it's out, I think this is perfect. I'm, I'm excited to go through it. Yeah. Well, I think the, the important thing to, to mention is when I did that initial episode, the one thing I was going to do is spoil everything. Because I think that is the absolute worst thing you can do. It's just go through point by point and just ruin everything. I mean... Warner Brothers did a great job of really keeping the lid on the film itself. Um, Because even I went into the movie and was surprised by some of the things that I I watched because they, you know, during production, they had, uh, you know, made changes to the story. 
So I was really happy that even I was surprised by some of the things that they did. So I didn't want to do that where you already knew the movie last year and then now you're just kind of waiting to visually watch it. And there has been people that have attempted to ruin the entire film. And I've always spoken out against that because the point is, as someone to give out information isn't to just ruin everyone's good time. It's to just speak your piece on it, hopefully get people excited for it if they're interested in the the movie. But ultimately, I want everyone to go to the, the theater or watch it at home and kind of form their own opinions about it. And yeah, I mean, that that was the the whole purpose for keeping a lid on it. I just didn't want to disrespect uh, Greg Russo after putting in like four years of his life into this film. And then, you know, just have some nobody come out and be like, hey, uh, this is everything that he did. That yeah. is just completely disrespectful. So I, I definitely wanted to wait until, you know, after the movie came out, give people a few good weeks to kind of get a chance to go watch it and then come out and say, okay, this is uh, the information that I had. And we can kind of talk about how the development of the movie went. Yeah. And so now that the movie's out, everybody kind of has their own opinion. So we don't have to hold anything back. Now we can talk about how this movie's progressed to what we ended up getting on the big screen. So the movie starts out the way that we saw it is in feudal Japan. And, you know, right away we find out that Scorpion has a daughter and you know, that this daughter was hidden whenever Scorpion and his entire family were massacred. Like this, a couple few plot points like this that it sets up. You got the daughter and then you also see the uh, marking on Scorpion's forearm, which, you know, indicating there's a little bit more going on to these characters, especially because as soon as we see that marking, Scorpion disappears. Was this opening scene? Is this something that was in there from the beginning? Because it's kind of iconic at this point. No, uh, they had something completely different. I think the the big thing to get across is um, for whatever reason, Scorpion as a character wasn't originally in the movie. I was surprised by that to an extent. But no, the, the original opening scene was uh, a gladiator arena in Rome. Which, oh, that's not expected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one, um, I may have mentioned that before in uh, some of the times I've talked about the film, but yes. uh, 2016 and 2018 drafts were essentially the same scene. Uh, 2018 is just more um, subdued. Like they really toned down the grandness of it because the 2016 draft was a gladiator coliseum. So they wanted like thousands of extras You know, you have two, it looks straight out of Ridley Scott's Gladiator. You have the Emperor of Rome watching this battle and uh, even Raiden shows up. Whereas the uh, the 2018, uh, it was meant to be like a, a little gladiator pit in the middle of nowhere. And it's a private match for um, the Emperor of Rome kind of present Raiden a fighter. And it, it ties more into one of the plots that they kind of discuss in the movie i just don't think they they went as full bore as what the scripts did. brandon mentions it looks like it's from gladiator you literally have the emperor in the 2016 script doing the whole thumb down <laughs> and everything <laughs> <laughs> now the one thing i will say is um maybe i'm i'm misremembering here but at least in the 2016 draft you do get to see the uh the classic spine rip fatality and they actually do it in a um, a logical and ingenious way. Essentially, the uh, the underdog 
gladiator. Um, he ends up taking a sword and cuts this guy's head so deep that basically he grabs the guy's head and just pulls the head and spine right off. Oh, so it, cool. yeah, it was meant to be very, very bloody. Uh-huh. And uh, why I didn't like the gladiator scene itself, I thought that at least that part of it really sets up the idea of just how gory the film was going to be. And it at least ties into the overall uh, subplot or at least backstory of, of the scripts, which is the idea that many of these cultures in the past that had gladiator games and you had the samurai and you had um, uh, the Spartans, like this idea that Mortal Kombat has actually been going on for thousands of years. And all these warrior cultures were actually set up to try and create fighters for Earthrealm. So by this script's introduction, it sounds like Arcanas were not a big deal at this point. No, the um, the Arcanas themselves was, well, they had Arcanas, but the dragon markings were not. Uh, okay. That that was uh, morphed out of the idea of a medallion. Um, between the two, personally, I actually did like the medallion better uh, hmm. because it made more sense within what they were trying to do but i understand why they changed it because it's something that now you have to physically represent on you at all times rather than something that they can hide with a costume like i don't even think i remember seeing sub-zero's dragon marking i think uh, greg Rousseau confirmed it was on his butt cheek but the medallion idea actually is reminiscent of the old comics actually so i mean i I didn't mind it as much was that the um the the second the second series they did i think so you mean battle part two or something like that you're talking about the the malibu comics right i think so yeah yeah there there's the um the tournament trade paperback where both sides gotta try and scale a mountain to get a uh, amulet, I, I think that's. I think that is. I, I always like that idea. Sounds like something Shao Kahn would do. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, like here, here's these two teams. By the way, Earthrealm, we're gonna give you a couple people that absolutely hate your guts and ain't gonna work <laughs> well with you. And you're both gonna scale a mountain to get this amulet. And whoever gets the amulet from which side, that side wins. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Fair. Oh, by the way, we're also gonna be hunting you at the same time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this definitely sounds like a really cool like Shao Kahn move. Doesn't break the Elder Gods rules at all. <laughs> After this intro scene, the, the movie you know goes into a brief little introduction. It says Earthrealm was on the verge of catastrophe. Should it lose one more tournament, the savage realm of Outworld will invade. But an ancient prophecy foretells that a new group of champions will be united by the rise of Hanzo Hasashi's blood. I'm just presuming that this is not part of this introduction at all for Mortal Kombat since we haven't even seen who Hanzo Hasashi is. No. Guess. no. <laughs> I don't even think they went with a prophecy in uh, no. the scripts. They um, So there's certain elements where, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to trash the decisions because obviously as they change things like like if people want to know like like I, I was reading a lot of comments where people were disappointed with cole character and i'm not even talking about the people that are raging against the idea that there's an oc in the movie but there were people that were excited for him but then felt he was lackluster in the end and yeah that was because they as they were uh, continuing the rewrites 
they had to pull back on him to kind of align it with the lore. So hmm. as we go through this, they're going to see that by the end, like they really did set him up to be like a major thing. Like hmm. there was a complete reason why he was supposed to be included in this. And they took that out. So with Cole Young, I mean, right away, you know, we're introduced to him and he's got a daughter and he's got a wife who just doesn't like to be around when he's fighting. And if I recall correctly, that wasn't really exactly how this character was formed in the original scripts, was he? No, the, there's certain elements, but the 2016 is the most different from the movie. The 2018 is closer, but in both versions, he's a boxer. And not a, not a UFC. No. And it all it all takes place in Philly instead of Chicago. I think the movie was. Mm -hmm. So that's another nod to um, where Midway uh, Midway was. Yeah. uh, Rather than Philly, which is I don't know why they did that. (laughs) But I I like (laughs) the idea that at least with Chicago, it's closer to uh, uh, some of the the formations of the the people that made Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. It's like a little sub Easter egg in the in the film. I think even some of the Mortal Kombat 3 backgrounds were supposed to be inspired by uh, uh, some of the places in Chicago. They basically took pictures of some streets in Chicago and some different things. Tabmok actually has a pretty cool video where he goes around and investigates all these different areas that they had seen and and some of the settings and stuff. They're like, oh, this is the street lamp from this scene in Mortal Kombat 3. That's actually (laughs) really cool. Uh, you have to send me the link to that because I yeah, love to actually we'll watch that because I'm a big uh, Mortal Kombat 3 fan. So we'll, we'll throw that in the show notes for anybody else who's interested too. But was Cole married in the original scripts? Because I thought I recalled that they were divorced or separated or something like that. She, uh, Allison was dead in 2016. Oh, wow. Um, they explained that uh, she had passed away from an illness. Um, and 2018, she's alive, but they're separated. The, uh, the 2016 script, in both of them, um, I think in 2018, she's a little bit nicer to Cole. There's a couple characters that sort of got cut out from the movie. Like, uh, there was the the sister-in-law. Oh, I think it's the, um, the Jessica? grandmother, actually. It's uh, Sophia. But Sophia is the other one. Sophia was the really nice one. And then Jessica was in uh, 2016. Wait, so you guys are saying there's like this whole family of Ferners or, or Youngs yeah. in the uh, original script? <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't be uh, the the Cole, like the Turner family. This would be uh, like all the in-laws. Like okay. uh, it would be Allison's mother and Allison's sister uh, because Allison had passed away from an illness. It's the uh, the grandmother that has custody of Emily. And they they sort of set up Cole to be this uh, down on his luck type fighter. But the only problem that I had with the 2016 version because of that is literally every fucking thing imaginable is going wrong with him. Like uh, <laughs> like he's being he can't win a fight. Um, he doesn't have custody of his daughter. He can't find a job. He's being evicted out of his fucking apartment. And then through the through the course of the movie. He breaks his fucking arm. It's a titanium plate in and is told that he can never box again. It, it just it's one thing after another. And it got to the point where, you know, usually when you, you do screenwriting, you do rules of three. So if you do more than three things that are the same, it's overkill. So if you want to yeah. if you want to show Cole as an underdog, pick three things. Make sure they're quick and move on, uh, not have five or six different things in order to try and show that. 
this guy is essentially a loser. The movie opens up and it's basically the whole pursuit of happiness summed up into one. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was definitely overkill. You do get essentially uh, in both versions, you kind of get more or less the same uh, type of scene, which is um, Cole is fighting another fighter who is more experienced. I think uh, Ramirez is even the, the same name that they use mm-hmm. throughout the drafts. Um, but yeah, he gets his ass kicked. He's paid like next to nothing. Emily is there being his uh, coach. But the one thing to keep in mind is in the script, she's a little bit younger. I think she's only eight or nine. And is so it's kind of like this joke thing that um, she's his coach in a sense. Um, yeah. I found Emily very annoying in the 2016 draft. <laughs> I found her slightly less annoying in the 2018. And then I thought the actual movie, she they did a good job. Um, 2016 draft was like Steven Spielberg levels of annoying child character. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like as we get into it, you're going to see some stuff, which is just like, what? How old, how old is she? <laughs> Why yeah, is she like, here? Like she's mentioning like the dark web and she's actually the one that I am am so fucking glad that they cut that stuff out. I mean, no disrespect (laughs) to Greg Russo, but I can understand when Todd said that they were having issues finding like the right elements to make it work. Because he did say like, yeah, we we did a bunch of drafts because, you know, we wanted to keep working it until we felt it was right. And I think what we saw in the movie was right to the script i mean I, I can at least say that much is and you know i'm i'm guilty of it too from like my point of view of writing is sometimes you write something and you go yeah that's that just doesn't work that's how the whole first act was for me i was like yeah there's there's some really cool ideas in here but it just doesn't feel right 2016 uh, there was a really cool scene in the 2016 draft uh, I was really sad to, that it didn't make it. And that's after the, the Cole Turner fight scene. We get a couple scenes with Cole's life where you get to see him uh, dropping off his daughter, get the, the setups of the other characters, Sophia and Jessica. And then uh, he goes home to his apartment building, which is where uh, Jax is waiting for him. Um, Jax in this draft is still closer to the uh, um, Oren Uziel. I think his name is the uh, original screenwriter. They still had him as a uh, police officer. Oh, that's interesting because this is also kind of an evolution of Mortal Kombat Rebirth, isn't it? This, some of these original scripts. Not necessarily Rebirth. From what I understood, I could have this all wrong because there's a lot of conflicting information and mm-hmm. neither uh, Oren or Kevin have ever like clarified anything ever since they left back in 20. 20- 13, I think it was. But from what I understood, Rebirth was just a concept pitch. And then they did Legacy, which was all the backstories for the characters. So then uh, Orin Uziel, who wrote Legacy, wrote a movie where Legacy would be like the prologue to. So you would see all these backstories and then they would all come together in the movie. And then the movie stalled. So they did um, they did a sequel series with um, Legacy 2. The actual tournament. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that's not the original tournament because even Liu Kang, when he uh, runs into Shang Tsung, He's, they basically explain that there's a tournament like 10 years ago uh, because he says that uh, the last time we met, I tore your head off. Mm, yes. And here's the, ne- the neat thing about that is 
they uh, in Legacy 2, that's when Johnny Cage finally appears. So what I'm wondering is, was Johnny Cage not in the original movie, the original oh, movie yeah. script? And was Legacy 2, was that written to be a sequel to the script that they wrote? So they were kind of like weaving in and out of these timelines where everything was interconnected. Now, we'll never know that until the original screenplay does actually get released. But I'm kind of finding certain things interesting with um, the idea that there was an original character, I think, since the very beginning. And there's the possibility that Johnny Cage was never in any draft. Johnny of... was in Legacy Season 1, though. Yes, he was, but he never went to the tournament. They explained... Um, Ah, yes. In Legacy 2, that he was ignoring uh, Raiden and Shang Tsung because he thought they were actually voices in his head. He thought he was hallucinating. (laughs) So so I found that interesting that I was like, I wonder if he like missed a tournament because he's like, no, I'm just going to keep drinking, bud. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep making movies. You know, and his life keeps getting worse. And maybe that kind of explains why there's an age difference is that you saw him at one age and then it's like 10 years later. Yeah. You know, you find him a little bit older. So I find that interesting. Yeah. Um, the origins of why we didn't get Johnny at first. Yeah. Because this yeah. did happen. This was written a long time before the whole, oh, we didn't want uh, Johnny Cage to be the star of this movie. You know, that's the, 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 the reasoning we've been given. I do know that the um, that the movie itself is way different than what Ornu Zeal originally wrote. Just based on the couple screenshots that they showed, they definitely showed Jax and Cabal uh, having an interaction, and there yeah. was more with Scorpion and Sub Zero. So Scorpion was in the original draft. So it's kind of weird that you know they went from one draft to another, and he kind of got lost in translation, and then. They kind of brought them back again. So there, there's definitely a lot of back and forth with the five different writers that have worked on this. So going back to the uh, 2016 script and the actual movie that we received. Yeah. So you said police officer Jax, you know, shows up and kind of helps out Cole Young. Uh, was it in the same way that we saw in the actual movie where he, he shows up to help him with Sub-Zero or yeah. is it less climatic? It turns up as he does in the movie to basically check on him at his fight. Yeah, the, but- the 2018 what version was like that. Uh, that's where they were starting to cut out some of the scenes out of the first act because the first act was just going too long. Um, but the 2016 draft, he shows up at Cole's apartment. So there would have been, I think, two two more scenes in between um, the, the fight and when Jax appears. So that was one of the big differences as they were slimming down the first act. And Jax is more of an asshole in the 2016 draft. Like, uh, I actually liked him very much in the 2016 draft uh, when he's introduced because Cole is essentially not wanting to play along with Jax. Uh, and, like, you know, Jax just sounds like a crazy guy. Like, you know, there's people coming for you. We got to go. And Cole's just asking questions. And I think at one point they explained that, like, Jax is getting irritated. So he's like, cracking his neck and explained like the dude is just fucking massive like like a <laughs> massive uh massive guy and they just talk about like all the muscle that's on his body and how it's like you can just see the the 
the the muscles like straining as he's getting pissed off like veins are starting to pop out uh and he's just like we don't have time for this bullshit and just grabs cole and just like picks him up and rips him out the door with him <laughs> i like that and this actually gets into the scene that i really really loved in the 2016 draft was uh jacks throws him into a fucking suv <laughs> and there's uh two of them and you see like he actually has like um, it's almost like uh, SWAT SWAT members. So there's all these uh, cops out there, fully decked out in armor with guns, and they're jumping into these two SUVs, and it's like an armored convoy, and um, they're driving uh, out of the city onto a bridge, and that's when they do like the uh, the snow is falling, and um, Cole looks at the uh, thermometer in the, the SUV and it actually starts like counting down and then it starts getting like really ridiculous. Like it goes below 32 and it's, you know, they remark like it's July and it's just meh, counting down. Ice is forming on the windows. And then um, they do an entire scene where Sub-Zero attacks his convoy without you ever seeing Sub-Zero. Like there's a, I think like a whiteout, they can't see, and then they finally see the um, the vehicle in front of them completely iced over, and they ram this thing so fast it just shatters. And then a uh, giant icicle comes through the uh, the front windshield, kills one of the soldiers, and then Jax actually sees his uh, arms start freezing to the uh, the steering wheel. Oh, gross! <laughs> yeah. So you kind of get the same thing. Like he ends up telling Cole, like, find Sonya Blade. He's in Lancaster and kicks him out of this moving vehicle. This is where it got like really ridiculous. Um, <laughs> he kicks him out of this vehicle, which Cole ends up falling off of this bridge. And then that's when Jack's like breaks his arms off the steering wheel. And then the truck flips. And, and just to explain here, like how different the, uh, the script is each of the two drafts has a after credits ending. Uh-huh. Uh, in this one, you would find out at the very, very end, that Jax lived and he actually has the uh, the cybernetic arms. You see someone like in the shadows, like punching a uh, punching bag. And then when he turns, comes into the light, it's Jax and he has the cybernetic arm. Uh, that's hmm. going to be the biggest difference with the uh, 2016 draft is Jax doesn't come back, which is something that I loved in the movie and the 2018 draft was how they actually worked them in made his story work and I was really happy that they uh they put more of him in but I'm I'm starting to get ahead of myself here. I was happy to see the way they handled Jax actually as well because looking back at the older versions of the script you like yes it made more sense I guess with what we know of Jax in terms of the original Mortal Kombat timeline where he comes in at Mortal Kombat 2 and so like saving him for the possible sequel might have made sense but I don't know I I feel like the way they handled it this time actually fit Quite well. I, I, we definitely kind of got nice guy jacks in in the newest movie, I think, you know, uh, especially hearing how he was written in this early script. It makes me realize it more, you know, Jax isn't the badass guy. He's, you know, I mean, he's still badass in his own way, but he's pretty nice. He's like, hey, Cole, how are you doing? He's a nice badass, with not a yeah. <laughs> like he sacrifices himself for Cole rather than I'm going to kick this guy's ass. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought they they handled him quite nicely in the movie. Like it, it was nice getting like that different version of him, um, because every adaptation has handled him a different way. You had mm-hmm. you had serious Jacks in the '95 movie. You had comical Jacks in the 
in Annihilation. <laughs> like, <laughs> Legacy was angry, Jax. You know, you had uh, Michael Jai White just being like, fuck protocol. Oh, I love Michael Jai White, though. <laughs> I still, I can hear him saying that in my head. <laughs> yeah, like, it was great. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed Michael Jai White's version of him. But I'm also happy with the movie. I, I like that version as well. The, the one thing that I did prefer, I suppose, about Jax in the older scripts is how he got his arms. I, I myself wasn't a fan of him getting, of his arcana being his arms, you know, like yeah. uh, firstly the little, the little arms, the little chicken wing arms were quite funny. <laughs> but I don't believe that that should have been his arcana. I believe that he should have just gotten some tech as he should have done. And then maybe the, you know, the, the ground pound, the ground, the, the energy wave, et cetera, should have been his actual arcana. And in the original scripts, you have him getting his arms through actual tech, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the uh, I mean, we can cover that later, but I'm pretty sure even the, the 2018 draft, they didn't do the Arcana thing. He just has metal arms grafted onto. But I'm still trying to figure out like I, I'm hoping they have an answer for it, is where the hell did the metal arms come from in the new movie? Yes. Yeah, it said like Liu Kang went to all the realms, realms to find. Yeah, yeah, to find the best medical tech out there and. Came back with these rinky dink arms. So <laughs> I think it was the, the actual monks doing it rather than Liu Kang himself. He was training them. You know, you know, that's actually uh, a really interesting idea. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's kind of funny. You know, you got these realms with sorcerers and magic and stuff like that, and then all they can do is make the the big arms. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there were some great edits actually of Jax's arms. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen those with like you know. <laughs> Somewhere he has yeah, <laughs> <and> safety pins <laughs> for arms. <laughs> I, I really find that kind of interesting because now that makes me wonder, is that a better explanation for things that uh, will be coming up later? Like, uh, like, is that where Cabal got, got his mask at? Is that where mm. the, the, uh, the cyber ninjas are going to come from? Are they going to get their technology from another realm? That's an interesting point. And, it, and I guess it does help. And this will actually tie in great with the uh, the script then, too, because there's a couple changes they did to the lore, which made me kind of wonder if uh, they were doing this to try and make Earth as normal as possible, because there are certain things about Mortal Kombat that you just have to take at face value, like cybernetic technology and the idea that it exists and that somehow they have like laser eyes and all this other crazy shit. Uh, and it sounds like the movie was really trying to make Mortal Kombat Earth Realm into like our standard vanilla Earth Realm, like our mm-hmm. planet and finding excuses for everything else. Like, oh, well, we don't have ninja clans in China and Japan in the modern day. They're actually from 1600. And we just found ways to bring them into the present. So That would be interesting, actually. I, I myself would hope for it to be as accurate as possible to the original lore, obviously. So I would prefer that we, you know, Earthrealm does have that specific sort of technology itself. Uh, that's why I myself was disappointed with the way Jax got his arms. Maybe, you know, it definitely does help make the movie have its own feel. I don't know. I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I think uh, it's a neat idea if they want to go with that. And it definitely uh, makes it feel different than Legacy, where they have this whole idea that, Basically, everything cybernetic in the games actually comes from one place, which is the, uh, I think it was like the Army's Cyber Initiative or whatever it was called. 
Well, it was a Linkway cyber initiative, but it was also through technology supplied by the Black Dragon. Like, I really like that idea where they kind of have like one logical, one logical explanation for that level of technology. Just right here it is. One different thing about the scripts uh, with how uh, related to Jax really is in the movie that we all, we finally got, um, Jax is basically de-armed by, or disarmed, <laughs> by Sub-Zero uh, as Jax saves Cole and his family. Now, in this instance, Sub-Zero appears in the city causing like hailstorms and such. Whereas in the 2018 version of the script, you have him actually killing Allison instead. Yes. The 2018 draft, it was Allison lived in the suburbs. So when he shows up, that's when Sub-Zero appears. Well, he makes Allison wreck her car and then she's trapped in the car and Sub-Zero appears, freezes her solid. And I really wish this was in here because it was like, holy shit, are you really giving Cole a good reason to to fight Sub-Zero? Yeah, really. Uh, But he uh, basically shatters her like completely. So he's uh so she's reaching out to him and he's trying to like basically reach her to pull her out of the car and then he's just like steps in starts freezing her and then uh they actually explain that uh Sub Zero looks into Cole's eyes kind of like the way uh, he does in uh, the movie with Jax like he it, it explains uh he wants Cole to know what he's about to do huh. and then he like shatters her I was like holy fuck did this get dark. <laughs> Uh, so I like Very that. And, and that is actually um, the whole freezing and shattering Allison is something that was brought over from the 2016 draft where another character got killed. But we'll we'll cover that when we get to it. But yeah, for right now, you had um, the 2016 draft. Allison was already dead, but they had it where Cole, after he fell out of the bridge, wakes up in the hospital weeks later. And finds out that now he has a titanium plate in his arm. His <laughs> arm got completely fucked up. And uh, like second rate jacks. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's basically explained his fighting career is over. And then they go from there to his, where his daughter's living with uh, grandmother Sophia, Jessica. And that's where he has her log on to the internet, onto the dark web. <laughs> and they find this website that uh, Sonia Blade runs. That has all this information on the tournament. And then they, uh, they're they able to get an address and go to her farm. So you just forget a very important part about the website, though. The, it had the, the Mortal Kombat theme. <laughs> they literally the oh yeah, they put in the techno theme, and it is mentioned by name. And it's funny because there's this... Um, it, they talk about how it sounds like porn music, I think. No, it's because Sonia's on the cover, and I think Sophia comes in and sees her. It's like, really? You're watching porn? And they're like, yeah, it was like, Cole, like, what the hell are you doing? Because it's like blaring. Like, he's like, it's too loud. Make it stop. And uh, he hits a button, and it, like, apparently amplifies. So, like, the whole house is just blaring this theme song. Yeah, it, it was, with this hot blonde on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm imagining it as like a meaty wave, like you know, like a meaty music file playing throughout the whole thing too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it was funny, but in the grand schemes of things, I don't 
it didn't work. Like you could see where. Oh no, it was cringy funny. Yeah, it was cringy funny. And it, again, the uh, I didn't like the Emily character because they it, it had that Steven Spielberg levels of like reminds me of Jurassic Park. Like I'm, I'm a hacker. Yeah, like she wasn't <laughs> acting. She wasn't acting the way a child should act. Yeah. You know, like how you would realistically see a child. Like she was acting like a movie character. I, I think we should actually describe it so that because you and I've read it, so it, it makes sense to us and how funny it is, but maybe just hearing it would help people understand. So you have Colt searching Sonia Blade with his one good hand, smacking the enter key, with Emily saying, Dad, move over, as she pulls the keyboard away from him. Google ain't gonna cut it. We need to access the dark web. Emily rapidly types. A second later, she smacks the enter key and bingo, one link immediately sticks out to both of them. Mortal Kombat, a book by Sonya Blade. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's like, what? Who is this character? <laughs> and we're getting into like some of the, the additional changes that they, they did for this movie. Um, like Sonya Blade is not military. Uh, mm-hmm. She is, I think in 2016 draft, she's just a nobody. She's a survivalist that, you know, that kind of ties into what they ended up doing with her character. So, I mean, the way I see it like that, a lot of that carried over into the main movie, because mm-hmm. when we see Sonya in the main movie, you know, she's living in a trailer park. She's former military, but she's mostly a conspiracy theorist with stuff all over her wall. <laughs> yeah, that element started in the older drafts. But and I, I'm guessing this was something that was taking from the original, original draft. because. If you remember, she wasn't military in the Legacy series either. She was a cop. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, someone was like, well, we don't need two cops. Let's just make her a survivalist. And the 2016 draft, I mean, there there's so many bad ideas. And I can, I can imagine, like, <laughs> honestly, I can imagine uh, Greg Russo coming in, looking at the script and having, like, a brain aneurysm. <laughs> Like, like he just like his nose starts bleeding when he gets to like Sonya Blade because because it, this all has to be from before him. Just seeing like yeah. what he did with Sonya Blade. Like I actually personally, I felt Sonya Blade in this movie was even better than the 95 movie in terms of respect to the character. Yep, I agree. Um, I don't think Phantom does, though. Well, my, <laughs> my whole point, with the, I, I've made this point before to people uh online is you know the 95 movie she starts out as an asshole throughout the entire movie just to be an asshole like there's nothing military about that role there's nothing serious about that role she's just an asshole and then at the the act three she turns into a princess character like the the damsel in distress yeah like yeah like shanks and they could (laughs) have still done this but she breaks character because Shang Tsung literally puts her arm behind her back and pulls her hair and she starts screaming like she's <laughs> helpless. And you're really telling me Sonya Blade would just be like, oh, yeah. no, someone has me in an arm lock and is pulling my hair. I've never <laughs> trained for this in my entire life. I'm doomed. <laughs> Imagine if the 95 movie had done that with uh johnny cage instead yeah <laughs> yeah i mean they, they they did in annihilation right at the beginning differently though mm-hmm. oh yeah that's right they, that's right <laughs> same thing happens to him but with, with shao khan <laughs> so on the mortal kombat movie 
the 2021 version, after we get introduced to Sonya, we find out that she has Kano chained up in her trailer. <laughs> so <laughs> is this how Kano is introduced in the uh, in the earlier scripts also? Not not chained up. Yeah, because I remember saying Kano was more of a good guy, like a protagonist along like to help along the journey. Yeah, I would I would say uh, he's about the same as what he is in the movie that they, they just don't have him chained up. Like he still has that kind of, in fact, I would say he's a little bit more antagonistic in the script. Uh, oh, really? Like he's just more of an asshole. Like um, uh-huh. he actually attacks Cole in um, in both scripts. Uh, it's not Sonya, it's uh, Kano. And I mean, Kano, as you've mentioned before, is still the comic relief of this script, though. Yes. Um, yes. The... Uh, I think it's in both scripts. The the one thing that they only touched upon just slightly, it was the idea that he draws and they really <laughs> they really played that up in the scripts. And there were some funny moments with it that I wish they had kept because um, it, it does play into uh, some of the scenes. His character. Yeah, like yeah. it made him it made him really interesting, I thought. And I was like, OK, that's a really cool detail. That he's, uh, you know, demented and likes to draw his victims and stuff. <laughs> you know, and that was the big thing is he he loves to draw, but he also loves to draw like all the people he kills. And I think he even explains that in his book. Like uh, he doesn't make a joke like, oh, it's for a Kano comic book. He literally explains that he just loves to draw and he has an entire <laughs> sketchbook of everyone that he's killed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, Yanni, but I always feel like during that scene where Cole asks about like you really draw like like that book's really filled with all the, the drawings of your victims. He's like, Oh no, this is the this is the third volume. You're like I Oh, I I don't remember that. I, I feel I feel like there is a line in one of the drafts where somehow he alludes to the idea that this isn't the only book. Like he's done it before. Like there's like other <laughs> completed volumes, but I must have missed that. Maybe I'm just making it up. It sounds like something that would be said. But um. one one thing that I do like about Kano, though, uh, with the whole Cole, Sonia and Kano sort of interaction is as Sonia's filling in Cole in the 2016 script, she sorts of she, she pulls up a, a monitor which has different names on the screen of past uh, and well, now deceased or missing combatants who had a medallion. And on this list are a few names. Now, one name who I guess won't really make much of a difference for the Mortal Kombat universe is Ryu Hoshi. But you have Li Mei, deceased from China. You have Nightwolf, deceased, 37, but his name is Chief Robert for yeah, some reason. I was going to say is they gave him his uh, first name as being Robert. I was like, hmm. yeah, this what? <laughs> but one thing that's interesting as well is you have Curtis Stryker unknown before Kano explains that actually no he's dead I, I that's where I got my medallion from he's like he's at a <laughs> landfill in Rio yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so, or striker but you can see where they they took that idea where they had like lists of names and shit and how that got turned into the um the billboard of all these different items photographs Way yeah, I, I thought the uh, the way they did in the movie was so much better. That was a really cool idea where you really got to know your Mortal Kombat lore to pick up on every little thing. The, Sorry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong this time. Isn't it explained in one version of the scripts that Kano went searching for Sonya because she saw, he saw that 
she had a medallion or something? No, no, because she doesn't have a, a medallion at all. Just oh, sorry, no, but not the medallion. Sorry, the website. Maybe. Now, now you're getting me guessing. Uh, <laughs> and it's so weird to like go back through these scripts and try and remember which draft is which. Uh, I think in the 2016 draft, uh, he was hired because they 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 don't talk about the Black Dragon in this. They don't talk about. Uh, really, they don't have any organizations in the uh, the screenplays. Like even Sub Zero isn't even connected to the Lin Kuei, which is no. why uh, before I said about you know the first time I came on the show, I said yeah, it's not in here, but it doesn't really take away from it. But I'm really glad that they did add it back in. Yeah, I can't remember if if it's in here or not. I guess they do kind of allude to it because it says here after they fight Reptile. He said, uh, I wasn't expecting this shit to be real. I only showed up because I thought there'd be fighting or I was told, <laughs> or I was told there'd be fighting. And well, you know, I got a thing for blondes. <laughs> <laughs> How were the jokes in these earlier scripts compared to what we ended up getting? I mean, because Kano, you know, he became the standout star of the movie in his own way because everybody loved the way that the jokes were written. Did it have that same kind of humor to it in the earlier drafts? Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a lot more joking and banter between uh, Cole, Kano, and Sonya. In fact, I thought that was what really made it stand out was just how uh, interesting the dialogue was between the three. So with them, uh, I wouldn't say that the movie was better or worse. I'd say it's different. The, The movie does have some really good lines in it. So in that sense, I'd say the movie ended up being better. I think uh, Josh Larson did an amazing job with his improv. Mm-hmm. It's just the uh, there's so many changes between the drafts that a lot of the stuff couldn't be kept anyway. The, the biggest stuff that I wish was done differently would be um, the dinner scene. I enjoyed the dinner scene better in the, I forget if the 2016 or 2018 draft, but I actually enjoyed the banter better between that. Um, mostly because in the scripts, Kung Lao is mute. So Liu Kang tends to speak for him, but they, um, Kung Lao ends up using sign language. Oh, interesting. But yes, a lot of the banter was there from the beginning. Uh, I'd say that uh, Larson did a much better job uh, ad-libbing a lot of the lines. Like the the Kano, the whole killing reptile segment. Kano wins and, you know, you fucking beauty. That was shit that he <laughs> added in. Like, it, it wasn't uh, as interesting. It was that there. All Kano does is basically saying this definitely counts as my kill and he doesn't rip uh he doesn't rip the heart out that's actually um kept later in the movie with cabal the rest of act one is pretty much the same reptile attacks the screenplay has him kind of like a ninja i think they explain like he's wearing armor and like they they don't really over describe each of the characters you just kind of get a hint at you know, it's reptile. It's a reptilian monster that I think wears armor or it was black clothing. armor over his scales or something like that. Yeah. So, oh, that's cool. So, more of a Mortal Kombat, uh, like what, deception type of reptile? I suppose because they, I think they also mentioned that his his teeth actually bear back hmm. over his face. The scene itself is mostly the exact same. 
you know, it's does reptile die. Yes. Okay. And, and another thing I'm curious about, did they refer to him as name, by name as they did in the movie? Uh, not, no. Yes. Melina says, Oh, not by size off. Melina straight up says to hooded man, uh, reptile is defeated. Oh, okay. Okay. So it could be any at that point. Uh, I would say reptile is specifically known as reptile in the Mortal Kombat universe. I don't think that a Saurian being called reptile could be any Saurian, in my opinion, not within this mm-hmm. series. If they say the reptile, I would get that. But if it's yeah. reptile, then it's, I don't know. Yeah, in, that, in this one, um, Kano kills reptile by slitting his throat. That's not as awesome as ripping out his heart. <laughs> it says here, um, in the 2016 draft, it says it blinks off its invisibility to reveal reptile, a two-legged creature comprised of reptilian DNA, black-scaled skin under dark green armor, two yellow eyes above a retractable mouth filled with razor-sharp teeth, a demon born in the depths of hell, followed by Kano saying, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 and then it goes into like, uh like a page and a third of a fight one thing you just mentioned there is actually a one of my biggest issues with both of these initial scripts and it sort of made me concerned about the fact that these weren't initially actual mortal Kombat scripts they were just scripts with the mortal Kombat name and that's by calling everybody a demon i mean everyone literally all the villains are called demons but then on top of that as you just said a demon from hell right so are they from Outworld or are they from the Nether Realm at this point? It's you know? out. It's Outworld. It's just more descriptive text. I think one of the things they were really trying to set up, and this goes back into the original lore, was the idea that Outworld itself wasn't like a functioning world in a sense. And in fact, uh, Shao Kahn was more demonic. Shang Tsung was more demonic. He was actually a demon. And a lot of the original lore was supposed to be like, it's this really dark, fucked up world before they even got to the idea of like an, an afterlife, like the nether realm, you know, because I think even uh, in the original lore, Scorpion was in hell and you saw them kind of combine that where they referred to it as the nether realm and they also referred to it as hell. I think they they said, uh, how did it go with uh, Raiden explaining Scorpion in the movie? He said he was in uh, he was in hell, the deepest reaches of the nether realm but the scorpion is from there that's why and i think in the movie itself too you know they kind of use nether realm and hell interchangeably i think scorpion says you tried sending me to hell for the fires to consume me or something like that and yeah i I think it's kind of an interchangeable term i mean that's been an interchangeable term even within the game series itself yeah but the 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 nether realm itself didn't actually exist until 96 I believe is ultimate MK3 with Molina's yeah, ending, MK3, yeah. where they uh, were starting to set up MK4 because that's when they started to actually expand uh, and create the the Nether Realm itself. Before that, it mm-hmm. was uh, Hell, it was the Afterlife, shit like that. Like um, Tobias kind of had um, sort of like very loose language on what that was. So the Nether Realm itself didn't really come to be officially until uh, Molina's ultimate mk3 ending and then it that kind of went into uh mortal kombat mythology sub-zero and mortal kombat 4 because they had finally gotten to that chapter where they could develop it further but i i still find it very interesting that they're uh using some of the the language of the original games where they're kind of combining that sort of lore because even the uh the jeff roven mortal kombat novel the uh the original novel not the uh adaptation of 95 movie 
uh, they refer to everything as demons. So there is kind of like that original lore where it was possibly like everyone from Outworld was was a demon, didn't really have humans or anyone that was specifically uh, um, humanoid in a sense. But I mean, that's yeah, so it's just it's just a little pet peeve, basically. I had oh, yeah. the, the way I, they I mean, the I'm not saying I'm not saying that it, it's right or wrong, it, but definitely with uh, how much lore there is now. You know, to go back to to that, it's definitely uh, setting itself up to kind of only go a certain way with uh, how you're looking at the lore. But you can definitely Mm. tell that the scripts and definitely the movie itself, they really want to be its own thing. And I'm okay with that because I don't think you could ever truly adapt Mortal Kombat to be accurate to the lore. And I usually tell people whenever they complain about adaptations not following the source material. I usually will pick the most ridiculous shit and be like, don't forget, if you want to follow the lore, you also have to follow this. Because <laughs> you can't pick and choose. If you're complaining that something is not following the lore, you must also follow this most ridiculous aspect of the lore. So that means you will have to get Sue Howe at some point. You will have to hey, get... I'm down for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to see Sue Howe get absolute justice. I don't think the way he I don't think the way he was uh, described in the games, like how he was introduced, it didn't work for me. But I would love to see NetherRealm Studios bring him back and redo him. So he's actually interesting. Don't worry. I don't think Suhao's introduction in the games did it for anyone, to be honest. So (laughs) we're on the same page there. (laughs) But then uh, after they kill Reptile, um, you more or less get the same thing across all the scripts. Kano basically knows where Raiden's temple is and they go there by a cargo plane. And it, it's always the, the same thing. Like Kano has contacts. And that's basically the ending of act one in the movie is, you know, they jump on the cargo plane and yeah. uh, head to Raiden's temple. But the, the interesting part, you mentioned this a little bit on our script leaking episode is uh, I'm assuming what comes next from the cargo plane as they're parachuting out. Yeah. That, and yeah is that, yes. Yeah, go ahead. That's the, the scene with rain. Uh, now the, the big difference is, they don't airdrop into China during the day or evening, I think it was. It's mm-hmm. done at night and it's starting to uh, storm out. So when they parachute down to, to China, it's like pitch black out. And then that's when Rain's attacking them. And it's honestly a really cool fight scene. I, I like the fight scene. I did not like the fact that it essentially happens like five pages after the reptile fight. So it's like five minutes later, you get yet another fight. I think Todd was right that it uses too many similar elements. And while Todd didn't cover it, I feel like it was also cut out of there because structurally with the pacing, it didn't work. Like it it was starting to feel like Mortal Kombat Annihilation where you're getting a fight scene like every couple of minutes. And I'm presuming... Rain probably dies because that seems to be what happens to every character well, yeah. in Mortal Kombat. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> one thing that the one thing that Mortal Kombat has over other games is the fact that you can literally kill off anyone and they can come back at any point. In fact, pretty much everyone has fucking died. Yeah, pretty much. Although with Rain's apparent death in this, I mean, it's not even straight up said. It's just said that he lands. And I mean, if Rain is apparently lightning teleporting into the air you're going to assume that he's or at least he's going to assume that he's going to make it to the ground at some point right <laughs> but i don't know I, I i have a lot more problems with this scene than uh, brandon for sure rick brain's my favorite character 
And this is one of those parts where I would argue lore is not being handled properly. This is not Rain. This is just an attempt at throwing in a character with the name of somebody from the Mortal Kombat series. You know, I mean, the, firstly, the fight itself. I agree with you. The pacing, very weird. It's, it's immediately after the reptile fight. Secondly, the, the way the fight is just carried out in the air and everything is very unnecessary and weird and doesn't work in my opinion. But thirdly, I, think it, I think it's weird and unnecessary in the sense of what you would think of as Mortal Kombat. But in, yeah. ter- but in terms of visually trying to do a martial arts fight scene while everyone is free falling through the air, I like that concept of it because it does feel different. It doesn't, you know, that would have been something where it's like, well, we haven't really seen that in a movie before. I will say that we've seen plenty of like action scenes where people are free falling, like there's Eraser yeah. and Shoot 'em Up, like they, and probably even in, one of the Iron Man movies, I think, had that. But in terms of a martial arts fight, and especially for something that's Mortal Kombat, we haven't seen that before. So I, I think that would have been that would have been the only cool part of it is how they were handling this fight scene where essentially you're free falling. I like that, but I agree yeah. that the character itself didn't follow lore. It it didn't work with the pacing. So I am glad that they cut it. And it definitely feels like it's a holdover from one of the previous drafts. Like like everything in this, I mean, it, uh, it states that this is a revised screenplay by Greg Russo. It doesn't state that he actually wrote the screenplay. So we're dealing with a lot of shit that he was hand handed. Yeah, and said, trying to hey, change here. it all. Yeah, so it's it's the the 2018 draft where you see where it's screenplay by Greg Russo and the elements actually work better because he was able to start over in a sense, but you can tell like there were certain demands. Like you have to keep this story. You have to keep the Cole character. You have to keep all these different story beats, but you can see how he was able to work with it and make it a much better film. So in the movie itself, you know, after we land in the desert. We're introduced to Raiden's temple and we kind of get the whole training montage and mm-hmm. things like that, which, you know, eventually climax in Kano's betrayal to the group. How did Act 2 really work in the, the older script? Completely different. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so Raiden's temple in the 2016 draft uh, is not a functioning temple. And this is where shit gets weird. The I will say that the 2018 draft is almost not even worth talking about in this segment because it's basically all the same except for Kano's betrayal. But mm-hmm. but in terms of but in terms of the actual structure of Act Two, 2016 is absolutely 100 percent different, and I did not like it. There, well, actually, there there were two things I liked in uh, essentially once they airdrop, they get lost. You have the Kano Sonya fight over the um, uh, GPS. GPS. Then a young kid shows up and explains that he can take them to Raiden's temple. So they go to Raiden's temple and it's just this abandoned ruin. And when they're inside, they actually see like um, like a painted mural that shows like Raiden the way we know him, like straight from the games, like lightning shooting out. And he's like on a battlefield, looks all badass. And uh, they they ask the child, like, what happened in this place? And he essentially says something along the, the lines of, you know, people stop believing. You know, <laughs> this used to be 
a temple dedicated to Raiden. And then over the centuries, people stopped believing. Uh, during this is when Sub-Zero shows up and it's really quick. I think it's maybe a half page, but the um, he starts breaking down doors and trying to get to them. So it's this really quick chase sequence with Sub-Zero coming after them. And they end up going through a portal and they go into this other world. So I really like the, the chase sequence. I wish it was longer. I do not like what comes afterwards, which is uh, they go into the city that's sort of like the, the center of the universe. So they have all these doorways uh, that line the city. And uh, once you come in one, you can't go back out unless it's like a certain time of day. I think they explain it's kind of like a clock face where everything has to line up. Otherwise, you could go to possibly anywhere in the universe. So they go to this city and it's a marketplace. And this is uh, it's kind of cringy. Uh, imagine like all the cool Easter eggs that were throughout the movie. But they're like here as merchandise. Like uh, there's a merchant selling replicas of Katana's fans. There's a um, uh, a reptile selling tea and you get like really <laughs> cringy reaction lines from it. But um, this is uh, the scene I talked about the first time I came on where. Kano essentially saying, I'm going to go get drunk. And he goes into a, a bar and ends up getting into a, a massive fight with a bunch of Turcotte. Really cool fight. Really cool scene to see. Love, yeah. love the fight. Love the banter. Actually, I, I need to correct myself on that because I couldn't remember the the lines from it. And I really love the the dialogue between Kano and the um, the Turcottans because this is where they they name drop different shit. Like, uh, that's Turcotton tells uh, Kano that he serves under General Baraka. But where is it at? Kano stands in the middle of a crowded bar. He's leaning across the black marble counter, shouting at the very hairy four-armed bartender. Says, I said whiskey. Whiskey. What the hell language do you speak? Wookie? And then he gets shoved out of the way. <laughs> he says, hey, I was here first. Kano shoves the figure back. Hard. It turns to face him. A Turcotton. Think Baraka. Wrinkly white skin, beady red eyes, and a gaping mouth filled with razor sharp teeth. And the Tarkatan says, You dare shove Lord Fazul? I served under the great General Baraka himself. Apologize. And Kano says, The only one here who should be apologizing is you with that butt ugly face of yours. Jesus Christ, would your mother have sex with a mole rat or something? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they keep, uh, what is it? How dare you insult me, human? And he says, oh, I'll do more than that. And then decks him across the face. Once Cole and Sonia, having watched the whole thing, you think he could even go five minutes without starting a fight? So Kano, the entire market disperses at once, creating a wide swath of space around Kano and the pissed off Turcotton Lord. Of course, one Turcotton would have been easy for Kano, but these fuckers rarely travel alone. Another ten. Practically identical looking Targottons instantly surround Kano. And then with the unified Shachink, they extend their four foot embedded arm blades, the signature weapon of the race. Kano's face drops. He spins towards Cole and Sonia. Help me, you assholes. Cole and Sonia just stare back at him. Did he say do nothing? Sonia says, uh huh. Sipping her tea. Mmm, peppermint. And then it just kind of goes into uh, him fighting all these Tarkatans. And then they join in. And then um, this is when Kung Lao and Liu Kang show up. Okay, that that sounds pretty good. I mean, I like the introduction. Uh, I mean, the whole Liu Kang 
walking through the desert and replacing the little boy. That's a pretty cool scene. But, you know, this kind of establishes your your three base characters a little bit more. Yeah. The, the, pr- the problem with this scene, in my opinion, is the fact that you have other apparent Mortal Kombat races all running around in this weird <laughs> sort of non nonsense market area. You have an apparent four-armed hairy species, which we've never, I mean, I've literally never seen a hairy Shokan unless you're going to count Kentaro. And that's what they were trying to get at. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, you're also missing out on the fact that there is like a Saurian just running around when they're supposed to be pretty much extinct. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's my problem with this scene. Although I, I like Bran, I love the fight. The, this is a hilarious fight in my opinion. It actually reminds me a lot of Mortal Kombat Conquest, like the whole market areas that every mm-hmm. episode was based off of. Yeah, I would say Jujin, I yeah. would say it was a it felt like a combination of that mixed with the early drafts of the 1995 movie. Or you could even say the um, uh, the tournament scene in the pilot episode of Conquest where they had kind of humanoids, but they always had like one like one thing different about each of them. If you remember those where they showed the crowd. And they actually did try and mix in like non-humans. It kind of had like a weird like Star Trek, Star Wars vibe. Mm. So how did we get from, you know, being in this area to, as we saw in the later movies, kind of the, the inclusion of Act 2 where they decide to band together and go after uh, the the Outworld or the, uh, the, the, the other warriors? Well, to, when they go from this, uh, this is when Liu Kang and Kung Lao take them to the clock tower, which is the training arena. You get more or less the same aspect as what you got in the movie. The only difference is um, they have a character called the Overseer. I thought it was the Overlord, but it's called the Overseer. And it's kind of like this old Pai Mei Shang Tsung type dude who oversees their training. And, and that's in addition to this random kid called Jin. Yes. And later on, Jin turns out to actually be Raiden in disguise. <laughs> uh, you kind of already knew because this kid is literally telling you about ancient lore and kind of knows everything. But they set up this idea that Kano thinks the overseer is Raiden and then uh, he's wrong. And then it's like, you know, Jin turns into an adult Raiden and then he had shapeshift. I don't think it was as bad as what some people that were leaking information on the movie thought it was. Where it sounds pretty bad to me. I'm not going to like, uh, (laughs) like, well, that that hashtag show made it sound like Brayden was going to be a 14 year old, like the whole Mm -hmm. movie. And it's like, no, Mm. it was early for like three fucking scenes. And then he reveals. I am going to be fair to them here, though. I know this is against what you're saying, but technically he is a 14 year old boy for the entire movie. It it might only be three scenes, but 90 percent of his input in this movie, in this script is as a 14 year old boy yeah there there's some he yeah i i didn't like raiden in this draft i think he was much better in the 2018 draft which then yeah which then became the the actual movie raiden and you could kind of see where back when in, the first time i was on i said uh raiden was kind of cold towards people and i think that translated across really well um i think some people were trying to say um that i stated he was cruel or they were repeating information saying he was cruel, but he's not. He's just kind of cold. And I think they sort of cut out that uh, subplot about him where uh, Raiden is just sort of like depressed because, you know, he used to have all these cultures he could choose warriors from. And then he ends up with, you know, a descendant (laughs) of Hanzo who can't even fight. 
The human punching bag. Yeah, the human punching <laughs> bag. Sonia doesn't have a mark. Kano is like a complete idiot. And yeah. he has two good fighters, Liu Kang and Kung Lao. And he realizes like, oh, I am fucked. <laughs> so, so there is kind of like this. And I think they, they kind of keep that a little bit with the 2016 draft. But the only difference is, is that they have the overseer and it's the same thing. They're all fighting each other, trying to unlock their um, arcana. There's a lot more scenes with Cole essentially being tortured. Like there, you have Kano just absolutely beating the shit out of him. And he uh, keeps fighting everyone and they're trying to figure out what could possibly unlock his arcana. You know, you had mentioned in the previous episode that the overseer is the one who would you know, announce things like round one fight yes. and things like that. Yes, they he keeps saying fight and it felt like they they took the announcer and made him into a physical character. It's funny because we have a, a lot of our listeners to our bite size episodes lately kind of commenting how they didn't like the fact that uh, that Kung Lao had said fatality or flawless victory. And I mean, the question is, would you have rather had the overseer making those announcements or would you rather have had... <laughs> oh god no i i didn't like him I'm... the best way to, to to compare the two in my opinion is would you rather the overseer with kung lao being mute <laughs> or would you rather kung lao right. sing himself <laughs> well he does do uh flawless victory in this but in, it's uh, in sign language yeah in sign, in sign language and they have like oh, wow. the subtitles below it I, th- uh-huh. I thought it was i thought it was funny you know that <laughs> yeah. he's like signing flawless victory like it almost reminds me of uh, Diary of the Dead with um, George Romero's movie, where the mm-hmm. the deaf mute Amish guy comes shows up and kills all these zombies, and he has a little chalkboard and he's like writing his name out to introduce himself. <laughs> like it, it, it's like so out there that you have to like take a step back and go, "What did I just see that?" But no, er- everything about this it, it's different, but it follows the same ideas. So mm-hmm. Cole's trying to unlock his arcana. Uh, Liu Kang and Kung Lao are able to get Kano to get his eye laser, which in this, I think his eye is actually more destroyed. It's described more as like an empty socket, like reptile yeah. actually rips well. out his eye, um, which you can tell the way the movie's going that they they kept the eye in because they allowed Sonya to... Uh, kill him in quotation marks but really it's just setting up for him to get his eye plate mm-hmm. like i'm pretty sure kano's coming back with an eye plate so yeah, i don't that's think wrong. anyone needs yeah. to no one needs to worry about it <laughs> uh yeah Liu kang even has a very similar backstory uh cole ends up leaving because he he can't unlock his arcana and then it kind of oh, so it's very similar oh yeah what we saw yep uh the only difference is um <laughs> the only difference is that he goes back to the suburbs and um that's when he uh he gets attacked by goro so you have like goro in the suburbs i believe oh instead of the barnyard yeah there, there's a lot more ambitious and ridiculous uh fighter arenas in this like they're fighting reminds me of malibu comics again when goro shows up in in the earth realm yeah and- <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty much that like the final battles fought in like like the suburbs like right in a uh neighborhood like it gets ridiculous. mcdonald's and product placement and <laughs> yeah you can you could tell that like people were not really thinking hard about this i think the only arena they really show is like they they talk about the clock tower 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other big change with this, as we're getting in Act Three, is that this actually is the tournament. It's a uh, like a battle royale type scenario, not an actual okay. tournament. So that was kind of weird and cringy. Um, so I'm presuming. I mean, this act doesn't end with Kano's betrayal. You had said correct. How? I mean, what happens? So Kano's still a good guy at the end of this part of the movie. Yes, he's. Just an asshole like he was throughout the entire script. He just continues mm-hmm. being an asshole. So so what happens is um, Goro shows up. I believe it is. Yeah, it's in the uh, suburbs. Raiden still doesn't reveal himself yet. He comes as Jin. So um, hmm. uh, Yanni was right. It's later on that he becomes like the full-fledged Raiden. Literally pretty much the final like scenes of the movie almost just with a couple of fights he just like like reveals his entire full power and it was like eh. <laughs> but yeah you're you're right he does mostly stay as like a 14 year old raiden but uh it is interesting that they use Jin, considering um raiden's other name is raijin oh yeah that is so interesting i'm kind of wondering if maybe now that i'm thinking about it, i wonder if they use that as a uh a nod to that but anyway yeah. uh Jin and Cole kind of have this entire monologue where it's the all hope is lost moment. I think if you really look no screenwriting, you know that this basically follows the uh, the hero's journey. So yeah. you could literally line this up with Star Wars, The Matrix, um, even the first Mortal Kombat movie and a lot of other people that have imitated that structure. So this is the all hope is lost moment. Where he's basically giving up. And then Goro. Yeah, Goro does attack, but not right away, I believe. It's the um that's when the marketplace and the clock tower are attacked ah, yes. by um all of the outworld fighters. Because Shang Tsung basically says, I know it's early, but we're just gonna start now. You know, like <laughs> like he just doesn't care. But that's where you get Cabal, you get Natara. Draman is a, a character that was oh, cut wow. out. The Draman was originally one of the fighters and Rico. And one important thing to note here is that Rico is described as having white glowing eyes. Yes. In oh. this variation. Yes, so he is. going into act three, do we see Kung Lao die? Yes, he dies differently in the 2016 draft. He dies exactly the same in uh, the 2018 draft where uh, Cheng Song steals his soul. Uh, the the areas are different. Like they had a lot more of the the fighting arenas from the game, but you could. I'm assuming what happened was uh, budget and time kept them yeah. from fully uh, enforcing them. But the the 2016 draft does not have any fighting arenas. It's all um, the Louvre. It's uh, a swamp. Uh, the Scottish Highlands. Uh, the suburbs. <laughs> Like it, it's a lot of like really weird locations where it, it, it sounds like somebody wanted a vacation. <laughs> yeah. I, I said about that the first episode. I'm like, yeah. when you read this, you're going to be like, Jesus Christ, someone really wanted to go on vacation. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a lot of the same stuff that you saw from the movie just out of order. So for example, mm-hmm. uh, the 2016 has the most changes. So I believe it's uh Liu Kang. Liu Kang kills Reiko. Cabal is killed by Kano. And then the Kano's death is the same between both drafts, just different. Sorry, this is all happening in Act 3 now, or is it still part this of Act 3? This is all, all Act 3. Like, it goes okay. immediately right after uh, Cole has his all hope is lost moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes straight into, like, making things even worse. Like, now Outworld is attacking all the fighters. 
and oh, wow. they're all yeah. over the place. And Cole is still like back at home, like oblivious. Crying. Yeah, crying <laughs> that he can't do anything. At least in the 2016 version of the script, hasn't he made it back at this point? No. Is he not in the marketplace with everyone? Wait a second. Doesn't Kano fight? Uh, it's Kano and Cole. Kano and Cole fight together. Yeah, against, they fight Cabal. Uh, they yeah. fight Cabal. That's right. Yes. You are right. I I apologize. That's what, just making <laughs> sure that we get it, it accurate. It's been, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while. Like you I'm told sure. me to call you out. I'm doing it. Yes, <laughs> I do want you to. I want you to make sure that I'm not missing shit. Like like I uh, mentioned before we uh, we came on air, started recording that it's confusing. It gets confusing to to try and keep track of everything that's in these drafts, and then compare it to the movie. Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of similarities, but then there's so many differences. The um the the one fight that I thought was really cool was the clock tower fight, which I assume the clock tower was based around the bell tower. Mm-hmm. I believe in one of the versions of that, it actually did have a clock face. I think it was the original original version, or was I'm it one of the later sure. games added a clock face in the background? When you said it, that's how I imagined it, like just from the name of it. But regardless, that's what it, that's what I got was. It was kind of like the bell tower. So it's like speaking of the arenas, they had some really weird ones, like the Louvre, <laughs> a swamp. Yeah, but but from what? this, but from this is that's where you can kind of see with the 2018 drafts where they started adding in the other um, the other arenas. Like uh, even in the movie when Liu Kang fights Cabal in the script, that was originally described as the Living Forest, and they even fully described. The fact that there were trees with like haunting looking faces in them. Like that was in the 2018 draft. The Would pit, have loved that. The pit. Yeah, really. The pit was fully described. And when Jax fights Rico in the 2018 script, because that's one of the big changes now is you have Jax in the final battle. Uh, they have a full fight on the bridge. And when Jax crushes his head, his body goes over the side and gets impaled on the spikes. Oh. So I that know should have been in the final version. And yeah, I'm wondering, what a waste of the pit. and again, I'm, I'm wondering if it was just a matter of time or budget. Maybe it, maybe it does exist and they just cut it out for time. We don't know. And we'll know eventually if they ever do an extended cut of this, we'll be able to find out more, but it sounds like, I hope so. it sounds like some things were cut for time. Sounds like they may not have filmed everything due to the budget. I mean, they're, uh, the 2018 drafts has a, uh, additional scene with Goro in it earlier in the film, which um, they obviously didn't film because Shang Tsung in the movie addresses Goro like he's meeting him for the first time, which is in act three, whereas this would have been in the second act. And it was a warrior going up against Goro to get the dragon mark on their side. So it showed like they had their own elimination matches to find the best warriors. And of course, uh, Shang explains to the warrior that Goro has won like 998 matches. So the Goro, the, the warrior goes like in, I think he goes into like a cave or something. And then you just hear a lot of humming. You hear like a scream, some tearing, and then like the whole upper half of the the warrior comes uh, is thrown out of this cave. <laughs> it that just sounds like something Goro needed. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, it still makes him just into the monster rather than like. And unfortunately, that's prince. something that even the games have kind of embraced over the years. I think of like Shaolin monks, where even that whole intro, he's just a monster. Like mm, he comes. So 
You think Goro's a jobber? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I I think even the games have reduced him to being a jobber. I think they have in the reboot era. I do yeah. agree. I, yeah. It's unfortunate because I always saw Goro as like a really complex character. And I think he could be even more complex when you really try and delve into the Shokin society. But again, uh-huh. when you're looking at a 150 minute movie, you're not going to get that. There's no way to. I mean, even in, even in the 95 movie, they they had to make cuts on the characters just to give you all the scenes with Shang Tsung and Goro. I mean, that's one reason why you didn't have any backstory with all three ninjas and you just got like little morsels of like Sonya barely had any character development. Johnny, Liu Kang had the most because he's the main character. Katana was a background character. So there's so many like cuts that they had to do to the story, to what we know of it, just to really make everything fit within that, what was that, 110 minutes. So anyway. One big change that I'm not sure if we mentioned exactly what happens with Kung Lao uh, Brandon, you mentioned that Kung Lao dies the same way in the 2018 version of the script, but did you mention that in the 2016, it is actually Sub Zero who I did uh, not I shatters him. Yes, uh, oh, and that's where the Allison uh, fatality in the 2018 draft comes from. They salvaged it from that scene. Now, prior to this, oh, wow. prior to this, I will say that um, Kung Lao kills Natara. It's more or less the same kind of fight, though. I think it's more described where. She's attacking him from the shadows inside the clock tower. And he actually throws this hat in the ground and it starts spinning and he's listening for her. And the way I got it, let me see. Yeah. So it is the way I uh, mentioned it before. He essentially does like his throw move, like from the original Mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. It says Natara bursts out of the smoke without opening his eyes. Kung Lao jumps and grabs her by the shoulders, slamming her straight down into the whirling hat. Blood sprays as the hat severs through the better part of her face. But you essentially had the same kill throughout all the drafts into the movie. So that's one that stayed the same. Drama- that's cool. I think that's much better than, you know, cowboy riding her into yeah. the hat. <laughs> the Drummond, I think Drummond is lit on fire by uh, Liu Kang. And, uh-huh. and that's when um, Liu Kang does a nod to the games by uh, weight wafting the smoke away from his face and just says toasty. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah, after this, they have like a, another horrifying moment where Sub-Zero shows up, freezes Kung Lao solid and then makes him explode. Mm. That's cool. And then they, they kind of have this whole, uh, like we can't win now because Kung Lao is our best fighter. And mm-hmm. then Goro shows up and Raiden kind of has this idea that we're going to go through like a bunch of different portals and try and trap Goro somewhere. So they end up going through the suburbs where, uh, his, uh, his daughter's at. And then that's when Cole fights, uh, Goro. So from what I've read of these, the earlier scripts, Um, I noticed, you know, a lot of the biggest changes kind of happened during this last act. And yes, like, like, especially, especially as far as like the big climatic reveals. Oh, yeah. And this is where like the big reveal comes. And it is the reveal that Cole has armor to be a human punching bag. (laughs) No (laughs) plot plot armor. No, (laughs) Uh, this I, I will say this much. I did not like the reveal in the 2016 draft. I did like it in the 2018, even though it's not to lore. 
and it might piss some people off, but I think in terms of Cole's character, it absolutely worked. Um, so anyway, Goro goes to basically rip Emily apart and Cole was screaming that, you know, I'm the one you want, not her. Then suddenly, uh, right as he throws his fists down, a razor sharp silver kunai spearhead juts through his rib cage. And then they, they, they go wide. So I assume it's similar to the movie. Like they kind of pull off to the side and you see that the, uh, the spear has come from Cole and it's coming out of his wrist. In fact, the, uh, the way they, um, they say it's like a synthetic cable that connects directly into Cole's forearm. So what I'm thinking is, <laughs> think Spider-Man. Well, no, I'm thinking it's more connected to that, uh, that titanium plate that they put in his arm. Like somehow that morphed into the kunai and the, uh, that the never even clicked. Yeah. Cause, oh, I didn't cause think it's about that. described the same way. Like it's a silver like plate holding his arm together inside. <laughs> I'm thinking like, <laughs> His it's weakness like, becoming a strength, just like in the 21 version. And then, of course, oh my gosh. He, <laughs> oh, I'm dying. This is horrible. <laughs> it's a, it says, uh, Cole grips the attached cable, screams with fury. Get over here. You know, <laughs> rips Goro's heart from his body. Um, oh. But yeah, it, and it explains here. It says uh, that Emily stares in awe at the hero standing before her. No longer Cole <laughs> Turner scorpion so <laughs> so i read that and was like what the fuck but wait 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 how old was emily in this version of the script again i think she was eight or nine all right what does she say next holy shit <laughs> <laughs> so no and again i'm not i'm not trying to trying to mock greg russo here because i don't think all this was actually his and yeah you know but this how it was written didn't work for me, but you, uh, but this is like the end of it. Uh, he gets his special powers within like the very climax. So Goro is saved for the end of the movie. He kills Goro and then Molina and Sub-Zero show up and you get basically this giant battle. Cops show up and then like Raiden and Shang Tsung kind of cordon off the area with magical energy so that no one can interfere with the final battle. And it's a mass <laughs> brawl, and you essentially get uh, Scorpion. I'm sorry, you get Cole Turner as Scorpion fighting Sub Zero in the final match, and it's a lot of the same shit. Like uh, Cole Turner blow, uh, ends up breathing fire on uh, Sub Zero and killing him. Hmm. Sonya kills um, kills Melina, same way. And the one thing Sonya gets the Arcana differently. In this. Yes. Uh, in this, uh, I guess we did skip that over. Melina kills Kano in uh, the original scripts. She throws a uh, sigh through his back and it like takes his heart out. So he lets. A lot of hearts. In this. Yeah. In this. Uh, Mortal Kombat. So he doesn't die, though. He actually tells uh, Sonya to kill him so that she can get um, the medallion because it'll officially be hers. <laughs> So she actually stabs Kano in the heart and kills him. As she kills him, Sonya smiles, tears forming in her eyes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's <laughs> at this point in the movie. Yeah. And, and you, now, again, like I read this, did not like it, but the, yeah. the 2018 draft did it better. And even though 
they did the same thing. Like Melina mortally injures Kano. Sonya is upset that she has to kill Kano. I took this whole thing to be like, wow, they're doing all this because I bet in the sequel, Shang Tsung is going to resurrect Kano and he'll be like indebted to him or he's a slave under his power and he's going to kill someone that Sonya cares about. And then now it's going to be like, he's going to be the, they're going to set up the whole treachery and Mm -hmm. she's going to go after him as as an enemy. And I, that's how cybernetics in his chest and in his eye. Sounds like in fact with like the whole hole in his chest, I'm like, Jesus, that's just like the, um, the MK 11 Kano with the, Mm -hmm. the glowing chest plate. So I was like, I was like, okay, this is all connecting together. So that was one of the reasons uh, the first time I came on, I wasn't as I I wasn't as like pissed off as I think other people were in terms of like uh, reading the scripts and getting pissed off at it because I'm like, okay, they have a plan for this shit. Uh, Yeah, you can see where you can tell. uh, The one thing I'm disappointed with is they they kept the the Goro fight the same as more or less what it was in the movie, except again. Cole throws the spear, tells him get over here, and actually like I think tears off his head in that one. Is that what oh. it is, Yanni? Tears off his head. I think he he just says get over here and pulls him over. And I think that that uh, what is it? I, I think that that's just what kills him. Maybe like tears <laughs> his heart out afterwards. He, he tears sure. his heart out. I think yeah, yes. Here it is. But, pulls the spear back, ripping Goro's heart from his body. And that was in the the 2018 draft. So, but in this, you find out that Cole Turner. Or Cole Marino, as it is in the 2018 draft. In the 2018 draft, he is the son of Scorpion, not Scorpion itself. And it's explained in the script that Sub-Zero and Scorpion come from Outworld. They are Outworld fighters. And that at some point, Scorpion had killed Sub-Zero in a tournament. So the Sub-Zero in the 2018 draft was brought back by Shang Tsung. Hmm. So we're already starting to see like how the script evolved into yeah. incorporating more lore as much as they could. I mean, you could, yeah, there's still so much studio meddling. It seems though. Well, yeah. the, the biggest part that they, they changed from this, that was apparent in every single draft other than uh, this part about Scorpion coming to earth realm, starting a new family. And then at some point he realizes that our world is going to hunt him down and try and come after his family so he returns to Outworld. And that's the only mention of Scorpion uh, during what we saw of the movie. So when Cole becomes uh, more or less the Scorpion for the movie in the 2018 draft, you find out at the end that the whole reason for this, why Shang Tsung set all this in motion, was because he was trying to get the Cole and I guess get him to unlock his arcana because, dun dun dun, he's an Outworld fighter. So mm-hmm. Shang Tsung had basically let Raiden do all the heavy lifting to create him like another powerful outworld warrior. And that Cole is now their strongest fighter, but any win that Cole does is for outworld. So that's pretty order, menacing. The only way that Raiden can win is by his warriors killing Cole. And he's like, and you can't do it because they're all friends now. In fact, they even <laughs> state like Liu Kang and Sonya are like, we're not fighting you. And Cole's actually pleading like, just kill me and win the tournament so that they can never bother us again. And they won't do it. So that was the interesting part. And I believe that was the entire reason for having the original character was because they wanted to do that gotcha at the end where it was, oh, look, this 
it, it was all part of Shang's treachery. Did it work? Did it work? Yes, but only if you can accept that uh, Sub-Zero and Scorpion would actually be from Outworld, which, again, it's going against the lore. A lot of people are going to be pissed off at it. But again, I took that to mean, well, maybe that was their way of getting around the idea of having ninjas in the modern day. Is this how the movie ends on that note? Well, it, no, it, it ends uh, It ends with him going to get Johnny Cage. Now, in the um, the 2018 draft, they actually roll up to the front gates of the movie studio and tell a guard that they're uh, looking for Johnny Cage. So that could have easily been put into the movie. I just think that maybe they, they just wanted to do it the other way because it still had the scene with Raiden saying you need to seek out new fighters. But the only difference is uh, instead of Cole, Cole Young talking to the bookie about going to Hollywood, it was him and Emily in a car driving up to the uh, studio gates. And then there was a after credit scene in the 2018 draft where Shang Tsung uh, is talking to someone and hands this person a medallion and basically says, your son is joined sides with Earthrealm. Uh, deal with him. And then you see Scorpion come out of the shadows and put on the medallion. So to me, I liked that aspect of it in the terms that the way I thought they were trying to go is like uh, the second movie being Empire Strikes Back, where you would have Ho Young, who is your Luke Skywalker, eventually having to face, you know, this version, this version of Darth Vader, which is Scorpion. And they would have to, you know, have that confrontation. So to me, I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. This is, you know, this movie is A New Hope. The next one will be Empire Strikes Back, where, you know, you start to see more characters get killed. Shit's getting worse. And then the third movie would be possibly uh, Cole getting uh, his father, Scorpion, to come over to the good side and they defeat the Emperor, you know, that kind of stuff. The problem with this is that they've literally just shot themselves in the foot with this kind of script as they straight up said that Cole cannot represent Earthrealm. So if that's the case, what is Cole's role? To assemble champions and then to kill his father? Because then he can't exactly do anything for... Earthrealm. He can't. Inter- he can't fight. He can't fight in the tournament. But the way the Good. the way the 2016 and 2018 drafts were is they just fought in the tournament. So to me, because they're kind of on a um, uh, a hiatus, and they kind of they kind of did the same thing in the movie too, where even though it wasn't the tournament like how it is in the scripts, you know there is this period of time now that they have until the actual tournament begins. But I think for this. They were originally thinking, well, maybe we just never do the tournament. Maybe the next movie, shit gets even more fucked up. And, you know, now it's just like the games where now no tournament can ever decide Earthrealm and it's open season. You know, and that's why you have so many issues. It's not that, mm-hmm. you know, they're based on the, the game lore after Mortal Kombat 2 because of how fucked up the rules got, there can never be another tournament. That's the way I always took it. Or maybe that's just Threshold's uh, adaptation of the lore coming in where everything gets fucked up. No tour- no more tournaments ever. And everything is just fucked. <laughs> so I, that's how I, I think they were going to do do the uh, the sequels based on like the 2016 draft. No, I do like the way Russo's going to be handling it, where the next movie is supposed to be the um, 
the tournament itself. And it makes more sense the way Russo did it, but it was at the expense of Cole Young's uh, character arc. So now I'm not saying that Greg Russo doesn't know what to do with the character. I think he just has to try harder now. And I'm sure he has ideas because, you know, I, I can sit here and have my own ideas for how to do Cole Young. But I think now he's going to have to essentially start from scratch and actually rebuild a new character arc for this character because he's already set everything up with Cole being the descendant of Scorpion. He's already met his ancestor and his purpose is done now. If you think about it, his whole purpose in this film, in the film that we actually got, was to unlock Scorpion to free him so that Scorpion could kill Sub-Zero because no other warrior could kill Sub-Zero. Or even just to unite. I mean, from the, the intro we saw, just <laughs> unite the Earthrealm warriors. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did, kind of. <laughs> yeah, more, so, more or less, like, he kind of sets things in motion. Yeah. To get them to, to where they needed to be by the end of the movie. But now he's <laughs> he's essentially uh, he served his purpose. Now, I don't want to see him disappear, though, because I hate that kind of retcon bullshit where uh, they did it after the uh, the first Hellboy movie where they had an original character. And then I guess no one liked that original character. So they just said in the second movie, oh, he left. Mm-hmm. It's like. Fuck that. You know, if you're... I, I don't see them doing that, though. Not with Cole. Like, I, I believe that the way that they've handled this, and they... I mean, Greg Russo has straight up said that Cole was something the studio wanted rather than himself. Mm-hmm. I don't see them getting rid of him. I no. believe that, that Greg Russo is now going to have more... If, you know, in, in the light of a possible sequel, I believe that Greg Russo is going to have more freedom to handle the story and the characters as he sees fit. And I think that Cole might be able to grow more as a result I, of that, alongside other combatants. I yeah, yeah so. I think that you will see Cole weave in and out of these films. Like, I honestly believe that he will have a whole new purpose, but I think eventually his story won't be as important as Liu Kang or Sonya Blade or any of those, like, main combatants. But I do foresee him, at least the way I would do it, is to eventually get him to split off and then you can do things like him essentially restart the Shirai Ryu under Scorpion's guidance, like that kind of shit that you had in the newer games where the Shirai Ryu come back. I can easily see that happen where Scorpion trains Cole to be like, look, I'm going to train you in my ways so that the Shirai Ryu can live on and then maybe see him start a whole new clan of Shirai Ryu. I mean, the, the only Cole, way Cole gets interesting now is now that you know he is definitely a descendant of Scorpion is to get him to be trained in the kunai. Well, even better yet, I mean, make him like you, you keep the character around, but, you know, make him a red herring, you know, kind of like they did in the original scripts, make him end up having to join the bad guys. And I think that could bring some kind of more interest into him. Um, maybe for his daughter's sake or something like that. Um, if they're going to keep him, which, you know, he's a good actor. He's a great martial artist. Why not? I am into the story somehow, but I think Greg Russo is so focused on bringing back the, the lore into the movies and into the series that I think we are going to get with a sequel. We would get more of a lore based movie. If they, if the studio gives him 
more range to do what he wants. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd say the only thing that you'll probably not see is the second movie will be the tournament. But I don't think we're mm-hmm. I just don't see him getting to um, Mortal Kombat 2. Mm, the, yeah. the events of the second game i i do see them wanting to up the ante after that because i can't see like two tournament films back to back unless they go the way of the malibu comics like we mentioned uh a while back and it becomes more like um a contest between both sides i i would see mm-hmm. more like the next two films being more remakes of the 95 film and annihilation i think that would be a more logical step where you have this prologue origin film that we just got. Then you have the tournament. And then the third film is the uh, Earth Realm invasion arc. And then you can finally bring in Shao Kahn as like the, the third movie bad guy and hopefully do that entire story arc right. And then hopefully in between, we're going to get some spinoff projects, maybe a TV series. Who knows? Whatever, uh, you know, whatever they have planned from there. So a question for us all then based on everything we've just discussed, which version of the script do you all, or do we all prefer the most? I mean, I I would say the movie is my pick, but if I had to go between the 2016 and the 2018 draft, I'm going with the 2018 draft because that is fully written by Greg Russo and it actually feels like Mortal Kombat. Myself, out of everything I've heard so far, I mean, and I kind of said this after our first interview with Bran, I was more excited about seeing the movie based off of, these earlier scripts because of how it was progressing. And I think what we saw was the next step in this script progression, but I would have liked to have seen another version after this. Mm. But yeah, if I were to choose between 2016 and 2018, it'd be 2018. But uh, I'm glad to see that the movie progressed to where it's at compared to these other two. Mm. How about yourself? Yeah, I think I'm on the same lines as you, really. Like the 2016 one to me does not feel like it was written by somebody with Mortal Kombat knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. at least at first. 2018 definitely took it a lot further and started to add proper Mortal Kombat elements into it. And as you said, the 21, it progressed uh, the way that I believe that it should have done with the 21 version of the script. And I, as you just said as well, if we could have gotten the next step of that even, I believe we might, might have even been better. So I'm, I enjoyed what we got, but I definitely preferred 18 over 16. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, we've asked you this in the past, so we're going to change up the question slightly for you. Um, which was your favorite finisher in the movie? Hmm. In the movie, I would say, God, there's some really good ones in there. Um, I would have to say that I absolutely liked Jax's uh, head smash. I thought I, I thought that looked yeah. so beautiful uh, in how it was done. And uh, the close second has to be the uh, the Sub Zero arm freeze and then he basically just pushes him off a cliff <laughs> like, like it felt so perfect to me but uh but yeah the the arm smash was probably the the best one i thought and brand before we let you go can you let our listeners know where they can find you i am currently on twitter at midnight owl so definitely um follow me uh i am a filmmaker and screenwriter so i have projects that are coming up some of which I can't talk about, but I do have some shorts that I'm working on the side. And I usually keep talking about Mortal Kombat. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Ooh, at Mr. Midnight Owl, to be clear. Yes, at Mr. Midnight Owl. I'm sure you can throw it down in the uh, the, yep, the doodly-doo. 
<laughs> We'd like to thank all of our listeners for stopping by the Realmcast today. Thanks very much, Brendan, for joining us on this episode again. It really was a pleasure to have you on like in the past and now here again with us. And we're hoping to have you again soon. Yes, I would love to be back. And thank you again for having me on again. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat meme realm. Special thanks to Uppercut Editions, who are creating the Mortal Kombat compendium, for their continued support. You can follow them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. And you can also find our bite-sized episodes on YouTube. Thank you, everybody. Join us again.